was a sophomore in college and I uh, was going to school in Kansas City and I lived in, my, my family lived in Oklahoma City. And so a couple times a year, I would drive back home to see my family. And uh, I was going home in the springtime and I was, I was going back to see my mom and my dad and, and I was driving home and I was about 10 minutes from being home and I was kind of lost in the excitement of getting to see my family. It had been a while since I had seen them. And then as I'm exiting off the ramp to where my family lives, my mom lives, I see the worst thing you could possibly see in my rear view mirror, and that is uh, the lights of a police officer. And uh, the cop pulls me over, and uh, I do everything I'm supposed to do. I get my license, and I get my insurance, and I'm ready for him as he comes up. And I do the, hello, Mr. Officer, and I'm trying to be very nice and cordial with the hopes that I won't get a ticket, and he is not having any of it. Uh, he is extremely upset and frustrated with me. And what I didn't know is he had been following me for a long time. And uh, I had no idea. And so I'm just driving in my own little world. And he comes up and informs me that I've been speeding for quite some time and that I've made several illegal lane changes and not using my blinker. And so not only am I going to get one ticket, but I'm going to get two tickets. And uh, he's making sure I know that he's actually being generous to me. And so I'm, I'm thankful for him. And uh, I, uh, I, I go home. And as a 19-year-old, uh, I don't tell my mom. I don't tell my mom, I'm 19, I'll take care of this. I'm, I'm grown, but really I just want to get in trouble. And so I, uh, I do what I'm supposed to do and I, I go back home and a few weeks go by and I pay the, the ticket. Well, what I don't realize is with two tickets, there were actually two different due dates, two different due dates. And so I'm playing basketball one day at our, at our university and my new girlfriend, uh, my, my wife, now wife, uh, comes into the gym and she says, hey, your mom is looking for you. She's on the phone, she's trying to get a hold of you. And I'm thinking, okay, what's What's the big deal? And so I get on the phone and I say, yeah, mom, what's going on? And she said, um, I'm on the phone with a police officer who's looking for you. <laughs> all right, all right. I don't, I don't know what this is about. I'm, I'm a good guy. I haven't done anything wrong. I don't know what you're talking about, mom. And, and after she lectured me for a while for not telling her about the, the ticket, she said, there is a warrant out for your arrest. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's got to be a mistake. I, I, a warrant for my arrest? Uh, and so I, I called the judge in Oklahoma City and I begin to explain, and that's where I find out that I had missed paying one of my tickets by several weeks. So this warrant was out for my arrest. And so as I talked to the judge, he says, where are you so we can come get you? I was like, well, I don't know about that. I'm not just going <laughs> to freely give myself over to you. Uh, plus I'm hours and hours away. And, and I explain again everything that was, was going on. And then this is what he says. This is what he said. I'll never forget this. He's quiet for a few moments, and then he says this, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it, because before it was you're going to have to come home, and you're going to have to go to court, and there's going to be all these fines, all these fees, because I was guilty. Like, it was my fault. I, I made the mistake. He had every right to do whatever he wanted to do. But in a moment, he becomes silent, and he says, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Well, we're looking at this story today, and it, it being Easter, the, the story of Jesus, where we are guilty. We're guilty. And then the father at some point steps in and says, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And so we're going to look. We're going to go back, and we are going to get to Easter Sunday, and we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is alive, but we're going to go back a little bit. It's important. Uh, we're we're going to celebrate the resurrection and the hope we have in that. But, but I remember when I first started going to church, and I didn't grow up in church, and I remember when I first started going, um, whoever was speaking up front would often talk about things, and I would be completely lost. I didn't understand what they were saying, and so I don't, I don't want that to happen, and I don't want to just expect that everyone knows the story. And so we're going to go back. And my hope is that for many of us who have heard this over and over and over, 
we're going to catch a glimpse of a character in this story that maybe we've overlooked often. A character that really could probably represent and actually does represent many of us. And so we're going to read in Matthew, Matthew 27, Matthew 27, 15 through 26. Uh, there should be a red Bible somewhere around you. Uh, we'd love for you to have that. That's our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that. Uh, there's also going to be on the screen, and there's a page number for that red Bible, if that's helpful. Matthew 27, starting in verse 15. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Just hit pause for a second. This is where he makes a huge mistake not listening to his wife. Uh, he should always... Always listen to your wife. That's a bonus. That's just extra. If you're married, always listen to your wife. That, that's a good, amen. Yes, okay. All right, verse 20. We're going to go on. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ, Pilate asked. And they all answered. Crucify him. Why? What, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let, this, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he handed Jesus he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. All right, so what's going on here in the beginning? So the governor Pilate, this was a tradition that at this point of the year, in the, in the time of Passover, that he had the right to let a guilty prisoner go free. And this is a remembrance for the Jewish people. At one point, they had been in bondage and they had been set free. And at one point, God had spared their lives. He had spared their lives. And so this was a remembrance of that freedom and, and letting the guilty go free. And so he has every right to say, all right, I'm going to let someone go free in this moment. I'm going to let someone go free. This isn't that uncommon even for our world. Our president has the right to pardon people, pardon guilty prisoners. Uh, president Obama has done 64. President Bush did like 150. Uh, Roosevelt did over 3,000. Let go free. Guilty people go Free. And so this is what's taking place. And Pilate has the audacity and the thought that maybe they'll make the best decision here. Maybe they'll come to their senses in this moment and they'll actually realize what they're about to do with Jesus and let him go free. There's no way, there's no way that they would choose Barabbas over Jesus. But I think Pilate totally underestimates their hatred and their animosity towards who Jesus is. He totally underestimates how they actually feel about what Jesus has been saying, what he's been teaching, and what he's been doing. He totally underestimates it all. And I, I think maybe in this moment, again, that he's going to, that the people, that the crowd, that the religious people are going to come to their senses, and they don't. Now, this is what I've come to realize. 
that even today it is often the religious people. It is often the religious people, people who think they can work themselves back to God, who are the most upset and the most frustrated with the grace of Jesus. It is often the most religious people who kind of see the grace of Jesus and hear about the the grace of Jesus, and they step back and they think, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not sure about that for them. And so in this moment, you have those people, the religious people, who have heard about Jesus and seen what Jesus is doing, and they don't like it. I mean, at one point, Jesus has a, a woman who is touching him, and the people, the crowd say, whoa, if Jesus really was a prophet, he would know who this woman is and would no way let her be touching him. There were people who were upset because Jesus was spending time in the houses of the notorious sinners, that he was dining and eating and having these parties with the wrong people. At one point, he's actually called a glutton. He's called a drunk because that's the people he was surrounding himself with. He wasn't, but that's who he was with all the time. And again, the religious people hated it. They hated it. And in this moment, as there is a decision coming between Barabbas and Jesus, the crowd, the religious people, call for the, the release of Barabbas. Now, who is Barabbas? Who is Barabbas? We, we catch a few things in this account, and, and here's what I want to let you know. Uh, there's four things called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all for the accounts of who Jesus was, what he had taught, what he had done, and each one of them tells some different stories, but this is in all four. The story of Barabbas is told by all four of these writers because I believe it's that significant and that important. Now, they all give a few, uh, a few different details. They talk about it a little differently. It's like if you saw a scene two weeks ago, we're walking home, my family from school. We're walking home, and I see one of the worst things ever. I see a young boy hit by a car while he's on his bike. And so I drop my bag, and I run about 50 yards, and I'm the first person on the scene, and I get there, and he's laying, and he's got blood coming out of his mouth, and the poor driver, she's freaking out, and this little girl in the back is afraid, and before you know it, there's 10, there's 15, there's 20 people surrounding the, the scene, and we're trying to make sure the little boys, oh, okay, but then the police show up, and they begin separating everyone, and they want to know exactly what happened, and they want the eyewitness account of what took place. Now, here's what I know. What I saw was going to be different than someone else. It doesn't make what they say untrue or me untrue. It's just different. It's just different. And so that's what we get with this story. We have lots of accounts of Barabbas. And so as we talk about Barabbas, you may not see it in what I just read, but there's other, other things that are said about him. And I, I want to make sure you understand that, that you may not see it right there, but it's in other, other places. Now, Barabbas is in prison for murder. He's in prison for murder. He's in prison because he's led a rebellion. Barabbas is not a good man. He's not a good man. He's notorious. This means everyone knows who he was. When Barabbas comes out, oh yeah, there's Barabbas. We know everything that Barabbas has done. He's also called by the author, uh, the writer John, a robber. Now you might not think that's very significant, but if you know the story, and we heard it read a few minutes ago, Jesus is crucified between who? Two thieves, two robbers. And so more than likely, Barabbas wakes up that morning. He wakes up that morning expecting his execution. He's guilty. He deserves death. He deserves to be punished according to their rules of that day. And so he wakes up that morning eating his last breakfast, knowing that today is the day that he is going to be put to death. This is who Barabbas is. 
So you have Jesus who's already been beaten, who's completely innocent. And we, we hear this several times. Pilate is pleading with the people. Look, this is an innocent man, his wife. This is an innocent man. We can't find anything against him. He stands next to Barabbas, this notorious man, the murderer, the thief. And Pilate's going to set one of them free. Verse 20, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Who do you want? We want Barabbas. We want the thief. We want the murderer. We want the innocent man, Jesus, to be punished and put to death. Let's just stop for a second. Like, like, let that sink in. Like, fully get your, your hands around that and grasp that as much as you can. You have Barabbas, a, a guilty murderer, ready for his execution, standing to the innocent, perfect Jesus. And Barabbas is set free. I mean, can you imagine how Barabbas would have felt in that moment? As the soldiers, as the, the guards come over and they, they put the key in the lock and they set Barabbas free? I mean, Barabbas had probably seen what had happened to Jesus. He had seen that he had been beat, that he had been spit on. He, he knows what's going on in the life of Jesus. And now Barabbas is experiencing freedom? He, he would have left the platform. He would have walked away from Jesus. And the Bible doesn't say this, but, but is there a thank you? Is there a, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm guilty. He's innocent. He, he should go free. I should be punished. We don't see any of that. But Barabbas walks off the, the platform and he goes and he enters the crowd who has just set him free. And while all this takes place, Jesus says nothing. He just stands silent, not a word. A pastor out in Seattle, uh, his name's Judah Smith, he says this, the father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so Barabbas could be treated like Jesus. The father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so Barabbas could be treated like Jesus. And this is what is taking place. The crowd doesn't let Barabbas go free. Understand this. The crowd ultimately is not the one who lets Barabbas go free. It is the love of the father that lets Barabbas go free. And here is the thing that we all have to understand. You're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. We collectively were Barabbas. And you might think, well, I've never done anything near as bad as Barabbas. My life has never looked like that. It's never gotten to that point. But, but man, as we all know, we are broken people. We have all gone against what God would want for us. And we know that. And some of you here today may be, may be coming and you may be full of doubt and you may be seeking. And look, this is a place for you to come and to do that. But this is what I know because I have friends who, who are believers. We, we talk about guilt and we talk about shame and, and everyone experiences those things because we all know that we make mistakes. We all know that we go against God. We have rebelled against him. But yet, as the Bible says, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that one day when you get perfect in the future you, Jesus would love that future you. No, no, while you were still broken, while you were in the midst of making mistakes, Christ died for you and he died for Barabbas because Jesus loves Barabbas. Jesus loves Barabbas. But, and for us, we're like, well, Barabbas is a bad man. He's a murderer. He's a, a thief. Yeah, but, but Jesus loved Barabbas. But, but what, Barabbas walks free. What if he never responds to it? What if he never acknowledges what God has done for him? Yeah, a lot of people do that. 
A lot of people live their lives not understanding what God has done for them. Never understanding. But, but here's what I believe. This is what I believe. I believe as Jesus hangs on a cross and he gives up his life, he does it for all people. He does it for everyone. Not just the poor, not just the rich. Not, not for young, not for the old. It doesn't matter who you are as, as Christ. Not for those who would accept it and live in it all of their lives. But as I shared last week, my, my papa, who was 72, accepts it. And for those who will never believe it, Christ died for them. And so we have this free will. We have this choice. Do we, do we choose to live in that? Do we choose to accept that or not? Like, I, I believe the way that God truly loves us is he allows us to choose. He allows us to choose. If you're married, just think about this. I, I've never woken up in the morning and said, Heather, you will love me today. You will, you will, you will love, I, I know there's times I'm unlovable. I know you don't want to. Today, you're going to love me. It doesn't work that way. The beautiful thing about it is that she chooses to love me. She chooses to love me when I'm unlovable. She makes that choice. That, that is true love. And so I, I believe the Father gives us the option. Do we believe this? Do we accept this? That's why it's called a gift. So Barabbas doesn't deserve to be set free. He doesn't deserve to go on living his life while Jesus, this innocent man, takes his place. He doesn't deserve it. But Jesus does it anyway. And so here's how many of us respond. Here's how many of us respond. Some of us try and work ourselves back to God. That, this, that is the definition of religion. Look, look what I can do. Look what I do. I, I'm going to be good and I'm going to serve. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going I'm to quit doing bad things. God, aren't you pleased with me? And so we'll try and work ourselves back to God. And, and along those lines, we begin to try and clean ourselves up. Look, I, I know many of you walk into this place and you leave a world that's out there and, and there's all kinds of things that are going out there. There's secrets. There's, there's things that nobody knows about. There's things that a few people know about and you think, I got to clean myself up. And when I clean myself up, then I'll go back to God. Then God will receive me. Then God will love me. Just think about that. Do you think you'll actually get to a point where you're fully satisfied in who you are? That you'll get to a point where you're like, okay, now I'm good enough. Now he'll receive me. No. I have little kids. This is what came to my mind as I thought about this. I have little kids, and uh, every once in a while we go to McDonald's uh, play place. And uh, my kids always want me to play, and it's a little over six foot. It's a little difficult to crawl through the tubes at, at McDonald's, and I'm, I'm getting older, and so it's hard. But here's one thing I know about that, and if you've ever crawled through it, you, you'll know this. It has a smell <laughs> like nothing else. Yeah. Like you, you, you're in there. You don't know what it is. You just know it smells. It doesn't matter which McDonald's you're in. They all smell the same. And the thought is, do they ever clean this? Do they ever clean? But, but here's, and if you work at McDonald's, I'm sorry, I'm not talking poorly about McDonald's, but, but this is what, I, this is what I, I, I know. I don't think it's cleanable. Like it smells so bad. I don't think there's any way that one day I'm going to walk in there and be like, oh, this smells so, this smells so nice. It's not going to get to that point and you will never get to the point where you're like, all right, I've cleaned myself up. You'll never get to a point where you have cleaned yourself up and you find yourself presentable back to God. You won't. Barabbas, think about this, Barabbas. In the moment, guilty, guilty, guilty. There's no doubt. A murderer, a thief who has led a rebellion. And Jesus takes his place. You won't clean yourself up. Jesus even at one point says this. It's found in what's called the Gospel of Mark. He says this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And, and just let me say this, we're all sick and in need of Jesus. The other thing we often do is we decide to remain in the chains ourselves. I mean, what if Barabbas, who gets set free, says, whoa, no, 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 go ahead and put the chains back on me. I know Jesus is taking my place, but I don't deserve it. So I'm going to continue to live in the chains. I know you're going to set me free, and so go ahead and put the chains on me, and I'm going to go ahead and continue to live like this. I'm going to continue to live in my shame and my guilt. I deserve to die. I deserve it. I don't deserve the forgiveness. And so I'm going to continue to punish myself. Many of us do that. Many of us actually question, is this See, I, I don't think the biggest struggle for many of us, I don't think, and it is for some of you, I don't think it's intellect, I don't, I don't think it's doubt, that happens, I know. I think the biggest struggle for many of us is actually believing the gospel, actually believing that this is true. That actually Jesus would forgive us, that Jesus actually would take our place. I think for many of us, we, it's just, it seems too good to be true. It just seems too good to be true. And so many of us, won't accept it, and so we'll continue to live in our own chains. Because this is a scandalous kind of grace. It is a scandalous kind of grace that's available to all people, no matter what they've done. No matter what they've done. It's hard to believe just how deep and wide and immense and high and expansive and inclusive this grace is. It's hard. It's hard to sometimes actually believe this, believe it. So Barabbas often is overlooked in this story, but it's vital for us to understand that we are Barabbas. We catch a glimpse of ourselves in his life, this guilt that he carries for the crimes he has committed, the crime that deserves punishment and ultimately death. We see ourselves in that. And so Barabbas is set free because Jesus takes his place, and that's the only reason. And then verse 22. Verse 22. Pilate asked this question of the crowd, and it's the question that I want you to wrestle with today. It's the, wrestle, it's the question each one of us will have to wrestle with, and that's this. Well, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Well, what do I do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? Like, there's no neutrality in this. Like, you just can't remain neutral as we think about Jesus. Being a pastor, there's a lot of times where I have to remain neutral. Like oftentimes when I'm in counseling sessions with a couple, I, I try not to take sides. And so I try and remain completely neutral or in a political world right now, I try and remain kind of neutral because there's people all over the place. And if I say something or I don't say the right thing and how will I be perceived? And so I understand the idea of staying neutral and I, I try and be on all sides with all people and it's, it's hard, but this is one of those things like you can't just stay neutral on. As we think about Jesus, you can't stay neutral like in the Bible, when, when people encounter Jesus, that there, there's no neutrality to it. They either walk away or they follow him or they want to kill him. You can't remain neutral. And so what will we do with Jesus? What will we do with Jesus? Many of us are just kind of like, All right, we just kind of care less. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a hateful kind of way. We just, we just don't really pay much attention to it. We don't get, give it much energy or thought. It's just... And many of you come every week, and, but it's just kind of like something that we do. We really haven't done much with Jesus. Or we think about him in a positive light, like his teachings are good, and yeah, I want to try and follow what he's saying and what he's doing, and, and yeah, that's a good thing, but was he really the son of God? Did he really come back to life? And, and so we kind of take that approach. Or will we actually, this word repent, 
think differently about it. When we come to our senses and realize who we are and realize that the only hope that we have is Jesus and that we'll begin to follow him, accepting his grace and his forgiveness and that we'll surrender our life completely to him. Those are kind of the options. There's really no in-between. Now, you might be in different stages along that, but, but we can't just remain neutral. C.S. Lewis, who is an author in The Chronicles of Narnia, maybe you've seen those, those movies. I don't know much, if you know much about his life, but at the age of nine, he lost his mom. Lost his mom at the age of nine, and he completely abandoned the faith that his mom had and that he had had as a young boy, and he walked away. He walked away. And for many years, he just kind of did his own thing. And then in his late years, as he began to do his education thing, um, he, he was on his way to Oxford. And he boards the train, and he, he arrives near Oxford. And as he leaves the train, he turns left instead of turning right. And so as he turns left and he begins to walk, he doesn't realize he's walking away from Oxford. And so he begins to question, I, I would have thought Oxford looked better than this. The storefronts are kind of ugly, and the people aren't who I expected, and it became more rural as he continued to walk. And so after walking away, he turns around, and in turning around, he sees the beautiful spires of Oxford. And he realized he'd been going in the wrong direction. And years later, when he came back to God, he realized that was kind of a metaphor of his life, that he had just been walking away. He was walking in the wrong direction, and in walking in the wrong direction, he had lost sight of who God was. He came back to God, and he came back and began to follow Jesus. And some of you have just been walking in the wrong direction. Some of you have just been believing the wrong thing about who God is. And, and really, I think some of you have been believing the wrong thing about yourself and what God says about you. And so many of you are holding on to your guilt, your shame, you're not allowing him to free you from those things. I love to look at these writings that happened hundreds of years before this happens in Jesus' life, and we're going to look at one. It's Isaiah 53, 5. This is talking about Jesus around 700 years before this happens, we believe. It says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The hope of today is that we can find healing, that we can find healing. Now the story doesn't end here. And so let me just wrap up with this. The story doesn't end here because if it ended here, well, then Jesus just takes the place of Barabbas. He's just a good guy who says, all right, I'll die for, I'll die for him. But this isn't the end of the story. Uh, Jesus goes through this. He, he's, he's brutally punished. He almost loses his life before even making his way to the cross. He goes to the cross and he dies there between two thieves. He's taken down and he's put into a grave. And then three days later, as we heard, three days later, as they go back to, to do what they would have traditionally done, Jesus is not there. Jesus is, is gone. And so Matthew 28, 1 through 10, we heard it read earlier. Uh, I just want to get to uh, verse 5. Let's jump to verse 5. It says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said. But let's just stop for a second. Jesus had told his disciples this was going to happen. Jesus had said, look, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be taken in. The elders, the chief priests are not going to like me. They're going to punish me. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die for it. And then in three days, I'll come back to life. Like this is one of those things for me. Like there's lots of kind of 
markers in my faith where I say, man, this is one thing that really helps me believe. That if someone can actually predict how they're going to die, they can predict how they're going to die, and then they're going to come back, and then they actually pull it off. That does something to me. That does something to that. That is someone that I want to listen to. That is someone that I want to follow. And so as they go back, they find that Jesus is not there and that he is alive. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, verse 7, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid. Okay, sometimes even as we go on this journey and we, we figure out what it means to follow Jesus, there, there's these times of fear, of, of not knowing what it looks like. So afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Jesus comes in, he intersects where they're headed, and he meets them exactly where they are. He meets us exactly where we are. Greetings, he said, and they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So this changes everything. The fact that Jesus is alive, not that he just gives up his life, but that he is alive changes everything. See, if Jesus just takes the place of Barabbas, he's just a martyr for him and dies like any normal human. But Jesus goes to the cross to defeat sin. And because he defeats death by coming back, he also defeats sin in our lives. He defeats the enemy in that moment. That last song we sang, the band's going to come back up, and we're going we're gonna to end with that. But as they're doing that, I just want to share uh, something that happened even just this morning. Um, this morning, as I was getting ready and uh, thinking about what we were doing today, uh, a lady in our church, many of you will know her name's Sherry. She's our women's ministry leader. Her mom has been dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's. It's been a difficult, horrible struggle and just a, a difficult challenge for her and really difficult days. And so her mom passed away at 1.30 this morning. But listen, listen. She tells me, she says, what good comes from this on Resurrection Sunday? That her mom, who was a believer, who had suffered for months and months and months, is now healed and whole, that there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, there's no more tears, there's no more war, there's no more destruction, there's none of that for her. That she is in complete peace. And the reason she can experience that, and the reason Sherry believes that, is because Jesus is alive. That we have hope because Jesus is alive. And so you and I have to wrestle with this question. Well, what are you going to do with Jesus? We're Barabbas and we're going to be set free. Jesus is going to take our place. But what are you going to do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? And so as these guys get ready, I just want to read through these lyrics really fast. There's a reason why the curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light. There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven. Jesus is alive. There's a reason why we're not overtaken. There's a reason we sing on through the night. There's a reason why our hope remains eternal. Jesus is alive. The grave could not ignore it when all heaven's roaring. Hell, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The world could not ignore it when all the saints are roaring. Praise the king he has risen praise the king he's alive he's alive you stand with me as we sing this together